Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself and Simon asked whether or not it was a poor look for none of the Glazer family to be represented at the funeral of Sir Bobby Charlton. Meanwhile, we look back on seven years of Gareth Southgate as England manager. Has he been a success? And with a week of big boxing announcements to come, we speak to former super middleweight champion Carl Froch on what we can expect. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Farewell, Sir Bobby. This on the back of the Times and Henry Winter, uh, chief football writer uh, of the Times, who's at Manchester Cathedral, uh, said right to the very end, Sir Bobby Charlton drew a huge crowd. On the streets of Manchester, people stopped and applauded and mourned as his cortege passed. In the cathedral, a packed congregation gathered to pay their respects to Charlton, a world champion, a European champion, and a champion of countless good causes and values. But um, absent from that huge group of people yesterday in the northwest, Simon, were members of the Glazer family. Yeah. Um, the Glazers, the club owners, of course, still. The Glazers chose not to be represented at the funeral uh, yesterday as a family. Simon, I put it to you this morning, was it a poor look for for none of the Glazer family to be at Sir Bobby's funeral? A statement from um, the protest group of uh, 1958 read, it comes as no real surprise that no one from the Glazer family appears to have bothered paying their respects at the funeral of arguably our greatest ever player. Uh, Honour, integrity, dignity. However, it's disappointing there has been no public statement from them today or about the sad passing of Lady Cathy. Of course, um, Sir Alex's uh, wife, Lady Cathy. So, what does it look like from your point of view, Simon, when you take a step back and you look at that? And I said in the introduction this morning, the Glazers not being there yesterday, were they damned if they were there? Were they damned if they weren't? Um, it depends whose eyes you're looking through. I mean, context is everything. First of all, were they invited? Second of all, did they consider in the rounds with the family any conversations about the sideshow that might come by the Glazers being there? Because this was about Bobby Charlton, and you can bet your bottom dollar that if the Glazers had been there, there would have been an alternative discussion going on, whether it were media wanting to grab a word with the Glazers 
or protest group saying, how dare you have the audacity to rock up and, and take the, the benefit of association. So I do think they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. These are a group of people... I'm not a, I'm not a Glazers apologist, and I'm not really interested on the views of a, of a protest group that whatever the Glazers do, whatever they did in this circumstance, this protest group would have something derogatory to say about it. If, you know, public, com- public observations, if indeed... Uh, the Glazers, and who knows what they may or may not have done. And again, I'm not a Glazers apologist, so I don't think they're the most admirable of people. I think they've done a remarkable deal for the Glazers uh, in the way that they built, bought Man United. And people like Martin Edwards and JP and wh- whoever else had shares might want to look at the reasons why they allowed these people to buy their shares from them. But if they've done private uh, conversations with Bobby Charlton's family and with Sir Alex Ferguson, why is there a necessity for the Glazers to make a public statement um, about private matters. So I, 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 I fall in between two stalls. Yeah, I, I understand, yeah. and I, I'm the first one to make the, the, the comparison about how big a Man, club Man United are and everything they do in the public domain. So I know that the rules of engagement are different. But I do feel that there's, there is a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If I were in that situation, what would I do? It's difficult to imagine yourself in that situation. Um, because it's difficult to imagine yourself in a situation where within days of being a major shareholder of Manchester United, you have to be smuggled out of a shareholder meeting in the back of a police car, um, because that's the level of intensity that the Glazers invoked in their reaction from Man United fans. It would be difficult for me to imagine not ever going to the games of the football club that I owned. It'd be difficult for me to imagine that the only words that my father would say, the architect of the deal, was Man United is a great football club. 18 words are the words that he's ever been attributed to his involvement in Man United. All of those are difficult things to price in. And the vitriol and disdain and contempt that the United fans or significant swathes have with the Glazers is a difficult animal and a difficult thought process. You put that into a public display of emotion about the passing of a legend and you think to yourself, well, given all of that, maybe it is better that I pay my respects in private, and one would assume that they would have done this yeah, um, rather than, well, than pay them in, in public. I, I, I see where you're going with it. I mean, the club's owners themselves are said to have stayed away as they didn't want to cause a distraction, which you've touched upon, Simon. But does it not epitomise the disconnect that can happen between those at the very top and the groundswell of support. Um, they would never bridge that gap. Would you, do you, uh, is there an anticipation by the, them going that that somehow would bridge the gap between those that detest the Glazers um, uh, and those that are moderately ambivalent? You're getting, a, you're getting a statement from an activist group, the 1958 group, that are very vociferous, very robust in their views, and it doesn't matter what the Glazers did. Besides, if, they gave, if the Glazers gave back... Man United to the fans for free and then repaid the fans all the interest and dividends that they took they would still vilify them so there's no point trying to bridge this gap that gap is unbridgeable that gap is unresolvable so it didn't make any difference whatsoever so, so they, I, are, they weren't there it, yesterday well, look, I don't think so it, the only thing it, the only way it makes a difference is it gives people an opportunity to say something different the only difference that we would have seen and they'll deny it because it can't ever be proved that if they'd have gone there there'd have been a statement from something like this group saying, how dare the Glazers rock up in the spotlight of great emotion for somebody that represented all the best values in this football club and they represent all the worst. Yeah. So they wouldn't. Now, it's interesting because it is well documented that Bobby Charlton 
had a decent relationship with the Glazers, that one of the first port of calls that the Glazers had was to to bring him into the fold and to make him more, even more of an ambassadorial role than he would have had before. Now people will say that's cynical and people will say that's lip service. And again, I'm not going to be uh, an apologist for the Glazers and I don't feel the necessity to have to, but the moment you don't vilify everything that they, they do or say, you will have the usual suspects yes. from Manchester United yeah. fan base saying you're a Glazers apologist. Do, do you agree with what Andy in Manchester has just messaged me just seconds ago? I agree that if the Glazers had turned up, uh, they would have taken away the focus on Sir Bobby, but they have not uttered one word publicly regarding the club's greatest player. Surely that's despicable. Well, I think that's I think that is a PR faux pas. I do think that's a disconnect and I do think they should perhaps look at themselves. Again, it would not be greeted with any great open arms, would it? It wouldn't be greeted by anybody that particularly... There's not an audience out there that's waiting for the Glazers to speak about uh, Bobby Charlton. There's an audience out there waiting to detract for whatever they've done. So the average person in the streets... The average Manchester United fan, not the ones that are engaged and have a very strong view about what Newton Heath became and how valuable it is to them, right? But the average Manchester United fan or the average sports fan isn't sitting there saying, oh, I wonder what the Glazers said about Bobby Charlton Mm. because they'll be formulating their own views and there'll be plenty of other tributes. But the ones that aren't wanting to come from a spirit of engaged interest but all they want is engaged criticism are going to say whatever they said. But I do think... It would have hurt nobody anything, whether it came from Richard Arnold. I'm assuming there must have been something from Manchester United. Oh, yeah. Um, right, yeah, so, sure. But Manchester United is owned by the Glazers. Yes. So by Manchester United making a statement, then it is, in fact, the Glazers. And if the Glazers had the audacity, uh, I can just imagine if the Glazers had the audacity to put their name to uh, a tribute to Bobby Charlton, their response would be, how dare you index yourself to the greatest servant of his... Do you think... With, with this group... Yes, I do. This, I mean, I don't. I, I can understand paying the respects. They would I, get vilified for that. I, I, I believe so. Yeah, I believe that they would. Now, there will be the people that are listening to this that are from that particular persuasion would say, "How dare you, you pig, ignorant sod! You don't know what you're talking about." We're Man United fans, and we'd have far more uh, decorum than that. I don't believe you would. I believe that you would, in the same way you'd weaponize yeah. everything, you would weaponize this. We'll put it out there. Are the United fans listening this morning who would have felt? insulted that the Glazers may have paid respect had they chosen certain words and paid their respects to the passing of Sir Bobby Charlton would you have been disgusted by the very fact they've done that if they'd have turned up if the Glazers had turned up they would be the story yeah the story would be the Glazers were there and there would be attempts from media to do their job which is to get access to the Glazers and it would have been a complete diminishing of the focal point which would have been Bobby Charlton. And people will say, no, we wouldn't. We'd have given him no time whatsoever. That's not how the media works. If you've got a glazer in your sight and scarcity is something that you have, you've got, which is no interviews on record, any journalist worth his salt I agree with you. is going to go for it. I agree with you on that. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. It is almost seven years to the day uh, in this international break, uh, would you believe it, uh, that Gareth Southgate took over as England manager. So one asks, what should go down as his biggest achievement in that time? Um, Many people have their own views on Gareth. I know you do, Simon. I know I do. I really, really like Gareth Southgate. But, hey, how irrelevant is a comment like that? But I mean it because when he came in uh, several months ago, I think it was back in August, um, he sat here and did an hour in the studio with me. And I must admit, 
it didn't make it easy for him, to be fair. And Gareth came through it and dealt with everything that was thrown at him. So basically, where are we at? After seven years with Gareth, I put it to Gareth when he was in here. All right, you went close in Russia, but you went out to uh, uh, the Serbs, if I remember rightly. Uh, Croatia, if I remember rightly. You went close at Wembley, but you lost to Italy in the Euros. And then it was a quarterfinals exit in Qatar. So the upshot of all that is... Is there a danger you might be remembered as a glorious failure? I think that depends on how you define success because where the team were in 2016 and the sort of team that we went with in 2018 and to get as far as we did in 2018 and people will talk about the opposition and we didn't we didn't beat Belgium but when we played Belgium we'd already qualified and when we played them again it was a third fourth playoff where we'd played only two days before, so yeah. So the look, we're, you'll always be judged as an England manager on the the how you go on in tournaments and the games where you go out. There'll be a, a, an analysis at a level that's beyond anything that any club is going to have. We've of course analysed all of that and we've improved as we've gone on. You know, we improved from that World Cup in Russia to the Euros. I think we were able to change and be more on the front foot in uh, in this World Cup. Mm. The, the profile of the team is changing and evolving. team is still improving. That's all we can aim to do. We, we've got to keep aiming to get better. And if you're in those latter stages, in the end, England will win a tournament. So that was Gareth, and he fronted up, and he, he's right. You know, you face analysis at an enormous politician's answer, unprecedented level. Depends how you look at it. I look at it through the prism of bleeding winning. That's the prism I look for through. So I think Gareth Southgate gets judged by the opportunity to have been in a box seat, to have won tournaments, to have overcome games, to have been in semi-finals, and our survey says. <laughs> so if, with that in mind, the seven-year itch potentially needs to be scratched in terms of he's been here for seven years. He gets one more shot at it, and if he doesn't win the European Championship, thank you very much. You bought a nice group of. Of, of relationships with the media. You've managed to harmonise the England camp so we don't have to listen to any ridiculous infighting that went on before about which clubs would sit with one another. Yeah, but, he's done, but to be fair, he's done more than that. What's he done then? Well, I'll put it, I'll, there's been progression of that, there is no doubt. Well, it's difficult. I mean, it, it, it would have been a master stroke to have gone backwards. Well, I mean, you couldn't go backwards from Iceland, could you? Here's Gareth. Well, we're going to get beat by the Welsh. Th this, is the mo bottom. this is the most recent thing that Gareth has said in this. He says, um, we've achieved the ch changing perception throughout the rest of Europe. We, we, we haven't achieved that so much with our own public at times, but it's interesting how we are viewed elsewhere. Um, we want fans Swipe to at his own fans. We want fans to come to Wembley to see goals and exciting performances. And we've had some good nights. Indeed. We're going to keep on trying to do that. Fantastic. So that, win, 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 win. Change perception. That, that to me, suggest progression of that there's no doubt well, okay. they've knocked on the door Simon they have okay so I don't know what the perception of us was in Europe I don't know what the perception of it was and he seems to be very well plugged into that but he's suggesting that our own fans are the outliers that we are a nation that ultimately looks at things through a half empty glass prism that's wonderful if you want to patronise mediocrity. If you want a politician as your football manager, which is what the answer was, depends 
how you look at it, what eyes you look at it through. Now, we don't want to be crap, right? So if you've, if you've, if you've gone past the crap phase, which is what we were against Iceland... <laughs> but they haven't been well crap. Done. No, they haven't. So that was... Well, that was a, under, but, under Gareth. But that was a false equivalency, because that was a poor tournament, and he gets to pick up the reins of it after Sam Allardyce fell on his own sword, right? So you've got uh, Gareth Southgate with an opportunity not based upon management credentials, based upon the fact he was inside the building with the FA and unlikely to cause him any problems. I would suggest this embarrassment of riches that we've got as footballers that are, you know, that, that, that are there amongst the best centre-forwards in the world, arguably the best centre-forward in the world alongside Erling Haaland in terms of Harry Kane. You've got a midfielder in Jude Bellingham, you've got a right-back in Carl Walker, you've got players in that, on, on, in that team that would be fitting in any... In any team around the world and very rarely have we been able to say that about an England team besides the much myths you know much the many myths that were put around the golden generation that Sven Goran Eriksson had but he's so, made them more exciting to watch hasn't he I think he's had the talent to be able to well the argument would be here's the, 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 the alternate argument to Southgate when you've had an opportunity to go for it with this wonderful group of players was it exciting when we played the USA because I didn't think that was particularly exciting no it was dreadful um but people will criticise him for saying, when we had the opportunity to go for sides, when we had an opportunity to go for the French, we had them in our sights. And OK, a penalty from Harry Kane misses, yeah. that knocks us out because we don't get, get an equaliser. margin. But that margin is about the winning opportunity. And when you've got that resource on the pitch, why wouldn't you utilise it? Yeah, but Sammy, to be fair, they go for it under Gareth. He says, we were top scorers per game at the World Cup and we've been top scorers in qualifying for the two previous tournaments. We want fans to come to Wembley to see goals. That, you cannot see yes, fairer than that. Yes, I, you know, goals, it, hopefully, it, from Gareth's point of view, that end up winning it's, England it's, games. It's fabulously impressive that you can beat Iran right, on the world scale of football teams with five goals. That probably means that you've got a higher average. Of course, the, the argument would be the Argentinians got beat by the Saudis, but they went on and won the World Cup, didn't they? We can wet these wonderful little records, but at the end of it, out we go. Now, do I think he's done lots of good? Yes, of course I do. I think it's not fair to be just one-dimensional and suggest that mediocrity got him an opportunity. Mediocrity at times has kept him away from winning the moment when you've had this opportunity against the Italians. And you say it went down to a penalty shootout. It didn't need to go down to a penalty shootout. We should have been able to change to avert the opportunity for the Italians to equalise to get back into the game that made we have to have a penalty shootout. But we shouldn't have picked Bakaya Sacco to take a penalty when he's never taken one in his professional career. We should have changed against the Croatians in the World Cup semi-final. But we'll give him that one because it was a learning curve. And we'll give it again in the European Championships. And then we play the attack, then we play the French in a game where we've got ourselves. We start like we normally do as England, looking at the opposition wide about what they're going to do, then realise that actually they're not that great, and then lay it upon them, get in the game, get an ascendancy, and let the French back in. And why is that? Because that's the psyche that the manager allows. That's the culture that the manager... Now, if that's changed, and he takes it and he brings it to them, and he either goes hard or goes home in this European Championships that comes up, then we'll all live with it. But the question always abounds, is that what happens? Is, is that what Southgate does? Now, he's a brilliant politician and he'll answer your questions and he'll field them. But when it comes down to it, like you said to him... A politician? He's a good manager, Sam. He's a more than good manager. No, he's an international manager. There's a vast difference. He's not at the top of his managerial career. Once upon a time, the England job was something that was sought after by the best managers in English football. Brian Clough would have given up his opportunities in English domestic football to have managed the England team because he was the best in the country. That doesn't exist. There's no argument. No argument. Southgate comes out of international football and drops in a top six side. Anyone that makes that argument has bumped their head. Um, that, I take it from what you're saying then, nothing other than, a win. than Kane lifting this uh, trophy above his head in Germany next summer 
is going to do. With this group of players... If he doesn't do that, Gareth needs to walk. With this group of... No, he should not necessarily walk. He should be asked to get his coat, to use my favourite expression. He will have done lots of good things for English football. He would have re-established what should have been there in the first place. Because it wasn't there in the first place doesn't mean you should reward it for being inserted now. You have to recognise that what people did before wasn't good enough. Capello and his regime wasn't good enough. Roy Hodgson and his regime wasn't good enough. Southgate has done decent things. He's got rid of these ridiculous factions. I mean, and, you've, and you've changed your perception of, his, of him in the last seven years, have you? I've always felt that he was a great... A, he's a decent human being. You can't argue that Gareth Southgate... No, but as a manager, as a manager, you're bound to him. No, because what, when he came in... In what way? It was, kind of, it was kind of trial and error when he first came in, wasn't well, it? Well, my first perception, and, my first perception of him was, how in God's name are you giving the job to a man that managed Middlesbrough in the Championship? Right? And ultimately... And your perception hasn't changed since no, then? No, it has changed, because ultimately he's, he's shown himself to be able to operate at this level. But that's not the question at hand. The question at hand is, when you have opportunities, not what you did in the past, when you are there and you have opportunities and moments in time, and you've had three of them, you have to look at it and say, what's the common denominator? The Croatians were crap in the first half, we were good, they changed, we didn't, we lose 2-1. We play the Italians, we get a lead in the first five or ten minutes through, through um, the full-back uh, the Man United player Luke, Luke Shaw, uh, Luke Shaw uh, and all of a sudden the Italians start building up the momentum and we watch and we watch and we watch and we watch and the whole nation's going for Christ's sake change something bang the Italians go, score a goal we change then we go into the uh, the European Championships um, and you know sorry into the World Cup in the World Cup and we have the French in our sights a good French side but a French side that we got the measure of in this game so why don't we overload why don't we take it to them like they take it to us but we don't and what do we end up losing we end up losing, but it gets blamed on Harry Kane missing a penalty. But the moment was lost because the game could have been taken away. We wouldn't have needed a penalty to equalise. We'd have been the ones in ascendancy. And that's the difference between a winning, unique manager. Now, Southgate cannot be excluded from the conversation of harmonising the England camp, utilising St George's, utilising the assets within his gift. So he's had some achievements. Of course he has. Of course. But we've got to win this European Championship. Win or nothing. Win, well, it's got to be a win. Well, forget you've got to yeah. win. You, can't, you don't get an endless array of opportunities. Nobody does. No international manager does. We are, you know, the question is, who do you replace him with? Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowl & Branch Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl & Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to bollandbranch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Download, stand well back. Listen, outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Last week, Simon, uh, yes. I sat beside your friend and mine, Frank Warren, at the Arsenal game. Did uh, you indeed? They beat Seville um, at the Emirates the other night, and he and I got onto the topic of what's coming up on December the 23rd. What's coming up is a huge night of boxing in Saudi Arabia, and we also got onto who's going to fight who. Is it true it would be Joshua against uh, Deontay Wilder? Frank kind of generalised it, but it said there's a lot to look forward to on that day. There's going to be a big night in December, and we'll be announcing it very soon, and it will be massive. In Saudi. Come on, Frank, what, what more can you tell me? You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I promise you, you'll love it. I can't give you all the information at the moment, but... Everything's going in the right direction for something to be an historical night in boxing. It's going to feature boxers from all over the world. And you will be surprised by the names. And there's some great names and there's some great fights involving British fighters too. An historic night in boxing in Saudi on December the 23rd. Uh, this man's had a few big nights and has thrilled us for years. Boxing Hall of Famer Carl Froch uh, joins us live. Carl, good morning to you, mate. How are you? Morning, I'm very good, thank you. Carl, uh, you, you, you heard Frank talking to me at the Emirates the, the other night, so it got us thinking, right, who's going to fight who? And then we got onto the topic of, could it possibly be AJ against uh, Deontay Wilder? Now, it seems that both of them are going to be on the card, but they're not going to be fighting each other because the sensible thought now is that Anthony Joshua will fight Otto Wallen and Deontay Wilder will fight Joseph Parker. Is that as big as you were expecting the news to be? Um, probably not, no. I mean, it's a bit disappointing for AJ to be fighting Wallin instead of um, Deontay Wilder. Because the AJ Wilder fight for me is a very big fight. It's a fight that I could look forward to. It's a fight I can get excited about. And it's one of them where you think, what happens? Does AJ get absolutely obliterated, knocked out in a couple of rounds because he's a bit mentally still tentative in, in the way in which he does his work? Or does AJ actually turn up, put on a boxing masterclass and maybe even finish off Wilder, tire him out later. I mean, there's so many different outcomes for that fight, and I think it's a juicy fight. So to now find out that AJ's fighting Wallin, got to be honest, I'm disappointed, but I can see that it's still, obviously, Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua and his team are obviously in the rebuilding process. Because Otto Wallin, it's not a bad fight, is it? It's AJ back out there against somebody who's quite capable. We saw him against Tyson Fury, giving that nasty cut. He's on a run of decent, a few decent little wins since then. But let's be honest, it's nothing to get too excited about, is it? Like Frank Warren was alluding to. Um, I, I, by the fact well, you're I, nodding I, since Carl well, I agree, his mouth, you know, I, agree I, with him. I agree with Carl's assessment on it because I think the, the most exciting fight right now, given what we've seen from Tyson Fury in the last 18 months, is the Anthony Joshua versus Wilder fight because the question will be answered. Someone's going to get knocked out in that fight, I suspect, and it will be an explosive fight. Um, but the card... Carl, I mean, I, I, I'm like you, I want to see Joshua versus Wilder. But we've made this big observation, haven't we? The heavyweights have let everybody down. They're not making fights. 
and now you've got most of them out. The Pillsbury Doughboy, real ease, has disappeared. No one can find him where he is. He's probably in the larder. But we're seeing most, most of the heavyweights that we want to see out, whether we're seeing the fights that we want to see. If we've got Wilder versus Parker, if we've got Hergovic out there, if we've got Dubois out there, we're see- we've got Frank Sanchez out there, we're seeing some names, haven't we, Carl? Absolutely, and there's plenty of names there that could jump in with Anthony Joshua and give us a more exciting fight than, um, than Otto Wallin. And it's frustrating and it's annoying. And, and you've, had, you've had Tyson Fury out there with Ngarno. He struggled. I don't think he was um, firing on all cylinders, yeah. if you like, Fury. So make an excuse for that. But um, I, it, my first thought is, I'm, my first feeling is that I'm disappointed mm. probably with the AJ, um, Deontay Wilder fight being off. And then it's hard to see past that. And then you've got Joseph Parker who's going to be in there. And it's, it's not a bad fight. It's quite interesting, him against Wilder. But I think the writing's on the wall for that fight. I mean, mm-hmm. I, like, I like Parker, but and he's, he's been doing well and he's rebuilt himself since. He's not, what is he, early 30s? So he's still got time left. But we know he, we know what his limitations are. We know his capabilities yeah. as a professional heavyweight. And he's, he's not quite at the races with the top three. It's, it's almost like stalling tactics and delaying what we want. It's to money, isn't it, Carl? Fans. It's money. It's all about, you've just hit the nail on the head, it's all about just creaming and milking. It's the Saudi, is Saudi Arabia ruining our beautiful sport of boxing because it's taken away from us what we want to see. But hasn't it always been thus, Carl? Hasn't it, in order to get these big fights, wasn't it once upon a time Vegas? And ultimately everyone yeah. had to accept that all the big fights went in Vegas. Yeah, but they happened though, didn't they? They seemed to get made. Yeah, yeah but- and, and Simon, to be fair to Carl, you took the big fights, Carl, when they were made, when they came along, you took them, mate. And the fact of the matter here is, the very fact they're on the same bill that night means that this is a lost opportunity, Carl, is it not? Because Joshua, who's available, could have fought Wilder, who's available. Exactly. I put that blame totally on Eddie Hearn or Anthony Joshua, because if AJ wanted to fight Wilder and he thought he wanted, if he thought he was confident enough to make a statement and fight somebody like Wilder, and do what and um, do what Tyson Fury has done twice. I know he boxed him three times. He got that draw. Then w- what a statement would that be? And how exciting would that be? That be me- for me. That's a mega fight. Yeah. Anthony Joshua against is, Wilder. Yeah. And yeah. now that's been pulled. We've had the pull. We've had the rug pulled from under our feet. The fans because we want to see these fights and they're not happening. And they're all getting paid mega money out in Saudi while we sit back and watch and say, "All oh, right, okay, we'll watch this and it's going to build towards potentially a better fight." But. I don't know how many fights left that um, these guys have got in them. And when they're earning 50 million quid, I wouldn't be surprised if they have one more and then turn it in. But a heavyweight division has always been different from your division, Carl. You know, when you're fighting Kessler or you're fighting yeah. Jermaine Taylor or you're fighting uh, Lucien Boutte, the best in class, the heavyweights have always had a different dynamic to them, haven't they? And, I, and I'm like they, you, I'm disappointed, yeah. but I look at this card and I think to myself, Bibble versus Rivera, that's a good fight. I see J.R. Patea that people are raving about, who, disp- who, de- yeah. who demolished Jordan Thompson the other day. I see some fights on there, Dubois against Baby Miller that's coming yeah. back and we all know what he got banned for. I think there's a lot of intrigue in that fight and I know that the head of the card isn't the one we want but I think there's also a lot about this if we've got seven or eight recognisable names in one evening it's not a bad card come on the headline fight has got to be the big one that everybody will get frothy and excited about and the very fact Carl that Joshua will be in that building and in a dressing room very close to Deontay Wilder who will be in a building and the two aren't fighting each other then there's yeah, a huge, no. there's a huge, uh, 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 there's a huge anticlimax in my view. I agree. I agree. Simon makes a good point that the undercard is pretty good with Bivol, and there's a couple of good undercards on there that I want to watch, and they're exciting. But he did mention the heavyweight division. Hasn't it always been like that? And the heavyweights 
don't really fight. Well, no, we're going through a bit of a lull at the minute with yeah. the heavyweight division. Yeah. There's limited opponents. There's a few new newbies coming through, if you like, but you, there's no excuses. Look at the CV of Tyson Fury. Look at the C- I mean, Anthony Joshua's CV actually stacks up quite well, especially against Fury's. Yeah. But compare Great. it to to compare it to Evander Holyfield and Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson. They all boxed each other. They all fought each other in Vegas. And look at Hang on, Carl. Tyson Tyson ducked Holyfield for years. Listen, but the fight still happened. He fought everybody. I mean, you can you can dig Mike Tyson out a little bit if you want to. But look at Lennox Lewis and um look at the look at Klitschko and Holyfield. And Riddick Bow and Riddick Bow dodged Lennox Lewis. Yeah, but you're picking you're you're picking airs now, aren't you? You're being they didn't find the same night, Simon. Yeah, Carl, we're getting a lot of messages. There's a bunch of them coming in who back Wallen to do a job in Joshua, if that indeed is the matchup. Well, this is this is this shows us what the fans think of, of AJ and where he is mentally and what he's capable of doing now in the heavyweight division. And and the fact that the fans think, hang on a minute, Wallen might actually cause an upset is the very reason why AJ's fighting Wallen, because his whole team think he's not ready for Deontay Wilder. And based on his last two or three, four performances, he's not ready for um, Deontay Wilder because I think if he goes on his back foot or waits for Wilder to come to him and gives Wilder momentum, he will get absolutely sparkled in, in a couple of rounds. Wilder will jump on him and get him early. But AJ needs to rebuild. And I think the fact that he's fighting Wallin shows us that his team think he needs to rebuild or they're just thinking about the money and they're nicking a few quid and, and, and cashing him in as much as they can before he retires. Do you? But I mean, you 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 alight upon the fact that it's Eddie and the fighter. You told me once that if a fighter doesn't want to make a fight, they'll use an excuse like an inability to get a contract done or the money side of things. If you want to make a fight, yeah. like you did with Kessler on a fifty fifty split, do you think do you think Joshua wants the fight? Because my understanding from people close to him is it's Joshua will take these fights, but it's the Freddie Cunninghams of the world and the guys around him that are positioning it because there's an opportunity to make a lot of money before they get to the fights which will determine everything. I think AJ's gone through his career taking fights that are presented in front of him and he's been very brave and to the point of of stupid as well because he didn't need to take the um, Usyk fight and he he boxed him twice and Rob McCracken actually advised him, his, his former trainer, advise them against fighting. He didn't say, don't fight him, you won't beat him. But he said, listen, there's probably easier routes. It's the WBO title. Vacate the title. Let's do a little cheeky move here and there. And let's have another big fight. And, and just put, put Usyk on the back burner. He's not, he's not getting any younger. But what did AJ do? He said, no, I fancy it. I think I can do him. Probably saw his performance against, against the gatekeeper, Derek Chisora, Chisora who, gets yeah, beat, yeah. who gets beaten by everybody, let's be honest. Yeah. He gets his head punched in and pummeled by anybody at world level. I'm not being, I'm just being factual. Um, <laughs> I said that to him as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right, Carl, Carl, I jumped on you a moment ago and was praising you for taking the big fights as they came in your career. There's Jack who just got in touch. Jim, mentioned maybe to Carl Froch, did he always do that? Uh, what happened with Joe Calzaghe? Yeah, well, ask, you'll have to ask Joe Calzaghe why he vacated the WBC title rather than fight me. Just ask him what happened there. Okay. Carl, thank you. Thanks for your contribution as always. Carl Froch with us. I like Carl a lot. He says what he means, means what he says, doesn't he? He, does, he gets on with it. At yeah. the moment, what we're led to believe is that on the 23rd of December, what they're going to announce probably this week is that AJ will fight Otto Wallen and Deontay Wilder will fight Joseph Parker. That's what we're led to believe is going to be happening. But isn't it a, a lost opportunity, a missed opportunity that AJ and Wilder in the same building in adjacent je- dressing rooms 
are not going to go in the ring and fight each other, surely. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Have you ever Googled your own name? Prepare for a shock because your personal info, including addresses and phone numbers, is all out there. It's all harvested by data brokers and sold legally. Aura is a personal digital security service that scans the internet for your sensitive information and provides a full suite of privacy-enhancing tools. For a limited time, Aura is offering listeners a 14-day free trial at aura.com safety. That's A-U-R-A dot safety to learn more and activate the 14-day trial period. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.